Welcome to Themis Podcasts. Themis is a leading technology platform that helps clients manage their financial crime risk exposure through a combination of innovation, insight, and intelligence. Our podcasts aim to bring you insight, views, emerging trends, and thought leadership from industry leaders and our own financial crime experts. Find out more about Themis at crime.financial. In this episode, Themis financial crime researchers Elizabeth Humphrey and Eliza Thompson discuss illicit financial flows in the United Arab Emirates and the UAE government's impressive work to combat these financial flows. Listen to this podcast to find out more about the UAE's recent FATF greylisting and the country's work on key financial crime issues. In March of this year, the Financial Action Task Force added the UAE to its list of jurisdictions under increased monitoring. Often referred to as the gray list, this list identifies countries that are actively working with the FATF to address challenges around their anti-money laundering and counter-terrorist financing systems. As a major international financial hub, the UAE faces heightened financial crime challenges. From concerns over illicit financial flows to sanction evasion, there has been significant attention paid to the UAE in recent months. It is therefore important to understand the UAE's regulatory system and the key progress made in recent years to address financial crime in the country. Today, I am joined by my colleague, Elizabeth Humphrey, a fellow researcher with our Themis Insight team. We will be discussing the UAE government's progress around tackling illicit financial flows, including in light of recent geopolitical events and key high-risk industries. Uh, Hi, Eliza. Thanks um, so much for discussing this important topic with me today. I'm really excited to be here um, and uh, sort of pick your brain about your expertise on this subject. Uh, So I really wanted to kick things off uh, and set the stage First of all, in terms of the UAE government's focus on addressing illicit financial flows um, in the country, which, of course, is, um, you know, an important trade hub, an international business center, um, and all these factors leave it vulnerable to heightened IFFs. So something really worth discussing. And um, it's been really, I know, front of mind for for, um, the authorities um, lately. So I think it would be great to discuss some of the progress made. I thought maybe we could start off with an important issue, um, and that being beneficial ownership regulation. So would you mind discussing a bit um, what the UAE government has been up to in terms of improving regulations around UBOs, um, you know, in the recent months and and years? Yeah, yeah, this is a great place to start. Um, I think definitely given the importance of UBOs in terms of tackling IFFs generally, Um, and also specifically within the UAE. Um, So in recent years, the government has really focused on harmonizing beneficial ownership information across the country. So in 2020, the UAE published a resolution requiring companies based in the country to maintain registers of all of their beneficial owners and shareholders. They also further required companies to file their registers with licensing authorities, Um, And in 2021, the UAE authorized these licensed authorities to begin fining companies that failed to submit beneficial ownership information. So they definitely have been um, very proactive in the space. 
And how about in terms of AML and CFT? What are some of the recent policy developments in the UAE related to, um, you know, that con- the country's framework in terms of that, that issue area? Mm-hmm. One incredibly important development, um, I think that stands out to me was the recent establishment of the new executive office of anti-money laundering and counter uh, terrorism financing. So the office really acts um, as a national coordinator engaging both internal and external stakeholders. So the office has really been doing a really active job, um, forming policies, strategies, engaging all the relevant parties. Um, Another great development, has been the newly established specialized court for money laundering in Dubai. Um, The UAE, I think, really has focused a lot of efforts on enhancing its ability to recover criminal assets as well. So they recently announced, um, the executive office recently announced that it seized illicit funds throughout 2021, worth over $600 million. These funds were linked to crimes, including money laundering and oversee crimes as well. So I think that really shows, you know, the importance of, um, you know, focusing on the actual flows themselves. And then the office also valued their total anti-money laundering and terrorist financing penalties collected in 2021 at around, I think, $1 billion. Um, This includes fines on major financial institutions and on individuals for crimes like money laundering as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess a key vulnerability um, identified by both FATF and by the UAE government has been the sort of lack of awareness or challenges, you know, existing remaining challenges among the private sector on key illicit financial risks. Would you mind talking about how sort of public sector has been working with the private sector on some of those challenges? Yeah, yeah. I think this is a really um, important area. The UAE has really prioritized outreach to private sector um, in order to address this um, kind of area. So for example, the UAE's National Committee for Combating Money Laundering um, features a public-private partnership committee that engages private sector businesses in dialogue on key issues. Um, The UAE also started an outreach program last year to help raise awareness on the risks identified by the UAE in its 2018 uh, national risk assessment. So the government um, is really also engaging in other areas as well. Um, So they're currently conducting a proliferation uh, financing risk assessment. Um, So this will consult the private sector to identify key proliferation financing risks. And another area um, is needing to increase understanding of sanction evasion practices. That's something that's been highlighted in terms of kind of an area to work on within the UAE. And then also, as we've talked about, really the importance of beneficial ownership. Um, So I think, you know, in these two areas, the government's also realized the importance of those and they've been conducting outreach and training programs on both areas. Okay, fantastic. That's really rich detail. Thank you. Um, Would you flag any other areas of importance in terms of policy and programming um, that's been going on in this space? Yeah, I guess one final area um, that I would highlight is the UAE's embrace of emerging technologies um, to help improve its anti-financial crime system. So the UAE has prioritized integrating advanced analytics and technology. They've also prioritized using digital tools and toolkits um, and digital training as well. 
Um, so I think one example is the UAE's support of Illegal Wildlife Toolkit for financial institutions that was created in collaboration with the UK government and with Themis and other organizations as well. So I think, you know, this really shows a really um, kind of interesting digital approach to really trying to um, kind of increase awareness and uh, education as well um, around illegal wildlife, so. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that um, our Themis team was so excited to work on that project with the UAE government and other actors in the illegal wildlife trade space, you know, connecting it to um, the financial institutions and their sort of responsibility and potential to address that issue. So that was really and continues to be really exciting for Themis. Um, yeah. I guess now it would be great to turn a bit, um, having discussed all this progress and seeing the sort of innovative approach that the UAE appears to be taking in terms of digital approaches to countering IFFs, um, beneficial ownership, and, and the other issues you talked about. I guess it, it brings to mind um, or calls to attention what makes the UAE prone to, you know, some of these challenges. Um, why is it that uh, illicit actors tend to uh, target the UAE for financial gain? I think it, yeah, it would be interesting to get your perspective on, on some of the challenges that the country um, faces. Yeah, yeah, I think the UAE um, faces some really interesting specific challenges due to the nature of the country. So I think one major challenge is the UAE's current role um, as a global financial and trading hub. So this really leaves the UAE vulnerable to large scale financial crime um, involving the financial sector. And then it also leaves the UAE vulnerable to trade-based illicit activity. So including money laundering, uh, potentially terrorist financing, uh, evading sanctions, um, also the use of illicit trade such as transshipment. Um, so I think that's really kind of a key area. Um, another characteristic is the UAE's geographical location, um, which kind of ties, ties into that. Um, so you know, this leaves them vulnerable because they really are kind of this international hub. And then also many of the neighboring countries have high level of instability. So this leaves the, the country um, exposed to corruption, organized crime, again, potentially terrorist financing or even conflict financing more generally. Um, so I think that's really interesting. Um, and then one example of this is the UAE's role as um, a transit hub for illegal wildlife trafficking from East Africa, um, which we've talked about as a really kind of key priority area for the UAE government. And then another really important area is illicit gold trade. Um, Dubai is a key trading hub. And I think a lot of attention has been paid internationally and domestically in terms of a lot of the issues around the gold trade and how to deal with them. Um, so I think, you know, we can um, talk about that as well, but that's a really key area. Another key characteristic is the high level of remittances that leave the UAE due to its large expat population. Um, so this leaves the UAE vulnerable to illicit activity occurring through money service providers, exchange houses. Hawala has been really a key area of concern for the UAE. Um, and I think that, you know, the UAE is really looking to ensure the industry is properly licensed and regulated. So this is kind of another example of a lot of the progress made. And then the UAE is also, um, it has over 40 free trade and financial zones. So previously these zones had more kind of regulatory freedom. You know, they all were independent. They um, were able to kind of um, 
approach kind of regulatory issues um, in their own way. So I think that's really left some gaps in terms of intelligence and reporting across the UAE. So um, company registers and beneficial ownership was really kind of a key gap. Um, and so I think a lot of progress has been made here, um, as I mentioned, but you know, there's still kind of work to be done in that area as well. In terms of um, the remaining challenges, I guess, and you mentioned the free trade and financial zones, um, my own research lately has focused quite a bit on illicit financial flows in the form of gold specifically going into the UAE. Um, so I think that's worth just mentioning and, and speaking a little bit about now. Um, as you mentioned, there are a lot of IFFs around gold um, that go into Dubai and other um other Emirates as well, not just Dubai. Uh, and I guess what I mean by illicit gold, um, and just to give some color to that, um, it, it tends to be that this gold is coming from, you know, East Africa, West Africa, and it's uh, sourced informally, not necessarily illicitly. Um, it can be mined by, you know, small, uh, small projects in, um, in various countries, you know, a lot in South Sudan, a lot in, um, DRC, but later rendered illicit at one or, or multiple points in the supply chain as it moves from that source to the final destination, you know, India, Switzerland, um, the global market, basically. Um, but those illicit linkages in the supply chain can really range um, from, you know, egregious human rights abuses at the mine site itself, which we see quite a bit, mm -hmm. you know, in DRC with the engagement of armed groups at mine sites um, yeah. to, you know, illegal taxation of gold, uh, up the supply chain a bit to, you know, transit and cross-border smuggling in the form of money laundering. But unfortunately, the UAE is particularly exposed to this um, with a lot of gold um, passing through passing through Dubai and others, other um, emirates. And overall, um, recent years, we have witnessed a sort of spike in the illicit gold flows within East Africa and also um, from the region to Dubai with uh, big interstate asymmetries in terms of the declared gold exports and imports. Um, and that's both at the regional level and also international level. So something that I know that um, the authorities are well aware of, and um, you know, there have been efforts in this regard uh, to address it, you know, the UAE good delivery standard, which is an important one. And, um, you know, efforts to have, uh, yeah, align with sort of international standards in terms of uh, responsible sourcing. Last year, we saw them um, stating that they would embed AML regulation requirements into gold sourcing um, and refineries uh, of, on the part of refineries and that they would have to undergo sort of annual audits around this. So there, there are encouraging signals, um, but yeah, it, it remains a big challenge um, just like um, other high-risk commodities, um, which tend to flow through these international trade hubs such as, such as Dubai. I'm just going to take this opportunity to jump in here. Since the release of this podcast, we have now had an intelligence briefing on gold which takes a critical look at the life cycle of illicit gold in connection to the Russian regime from source to destination. A corresponding briefing note is also available. Catch up on the recording at crime.financial events. Um, for now, I think we can shift away from gold again and maybe to another high-risk sector, um, the real estate sector, particularly in the context of, of Russia. I think it's really important to discuss it. It's been in the news lately a lot um, due to you know, the use um, on, of the real estate sector on the 
part of Russian oligarchs in an attempt to evade those sanctions that we're, we're all very aware of. Um, and experts have indeed expressed concern over the possibility of sanctioned individuals transferring or hiding their assets through Dubai real estate market, other um, Emirates real estate market. So what makes um, this market particularly susceptible to abuse, would you say? Uh, well, first, I think Dubai's real estate market has some key characteristics that makes it appealing more generally. Um, so not just to uh, illicit actors, but to foreign investors, um, both legal and potentially illicit. So it has low taxes. Um, it's fairly easy to obtain residency visa. Another thing is the high price point of the market. So, you know, kind of high value markets often are um, targeted by individuals with a lot of means, but potentially um, you know, some of those means might not be necessarily uh, legal. Um, for instance, Dubai saw $35 billion worth of property transactions in 2021. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of evidence that they're really having a rebound after COVID in terms of the market being strong. Um, and then other features make the market even more appealing um, specifically to illicit actors. So that one of them is the ability to use cash for purchases um, and then concerns over potentially um, less stringent ownership checks. Um, so whether or not there's kind of fully effective due diligence being done across the industry, I think is uh, a concern. And then in some cases, shell companies have been used um, by oligarchs, corrupt politicians, kind of politically exposed people um, to both purchase and manage properties in Dubai. So I think that's kind of um, an interesting overlap in terms of some of kind of the corporate vehicles, um, uh, shell companies being used, and then real estate. So that again really shows the importance of beneficial ownership. Um, and then there's also been evidence of use of family and third-party networks as well. So this includes the use of non-financial businesses and professionals such as lawyers. These networks are used to um, obscure beneficial ownership sometimes. So that's another kind of key area. Yeah, absolutely. Very interesting. Abuse of beneficial ownership internationally has definitely been re receiving a lot of attention, um, such as the abuse of the UK property market by oligarchs. I guess it definitely seems the UAE is not immune to that conversation, um, you know, particularly given the attention that the UAE government is giving that issue. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's correct. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, just to, it's not a UAE specific issue. Um, you know, there's a lot of kind of property markets um, and beneficial ownership abuse happening um, globally. Um, but I think, you know, the UAE is definitely not immune to it. I think offshore vehicles, other complex ownership structures have been used, um, you know, in, in markets across the world and the UAE um, definitely happens there as well. And these are used really to obscure connections and then also um, obscure um, ownership of entities as well. So the UAE really has improved its regulation uh, regarding beneficial ownership. As I said, the government needs to stay alert because um, illicit actors always will you know, try and find a way to take advantage of any gaps. There are in regulatory uh, requirements and reporting requirements. So I think, you know, just kind of being aware of um, any potential for that abuse. And then there's also a lot of concern of shell companies and also kind of more intermediary networks being used to evade Russian sanctions. So um, there's been some interesting reports about, you know, potential 
um, Russian individuals trying to evade sanctions through um, property market and other use of kind of um, complex ownership structures within the UAE and other places as well. Um, so I think this draws a lot of attention to non-financial businesses such as corporate service providers, lawyers, other kind of potential um, uh, you know, individuals that are operating in this space. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important to look broader than just financial institutions at those, um, as you said, DNFBPs. Yeah. Um, another sanctions evasion technique getting a lot of attention now with ongoing Russian sanctions is the potential use of crypto and other virtual assets. Uh, generally, the decentralized and unregulated nature of the crypto and digital market, coupled with the sort of anonymity that it provides, is seen to make crypto a relatively appealing technique for illicit actors. Um, would you mind discussing um, and giving some more um, detail on the vulnerabilities posed by crypto? Uh, yeah, I think this is a really interesting key emerging risk um, globally. There's so much happening in kind of the crypto space right now. Um, in terms of, you know, uh, financial crime, instability. So I think it's it's really um, key area to be paying attention to. Um, and the UAE is definitely not immune. Um, and also the UAE has really invested um, in terms of growing out the crypto market um, in the country. So uh, a lot of different crypto exchange and sellers are setting up shop um, in Dubai and other Emirates. So that kind of adds a heightened um, a risk as well. Um, and so, you know, kind of key things, um, fintech and crypto can be vulnerable to abuse by illicit actors, especially because they allow for quick cross-border movement of assets. Um, they often kind of allow for more of a level of privacy and, as you said, um, ability to kind of hide one's own identity. But there's also been kind of evidence recently that this might not be, you know, kind of the, the idea that crypto provides true privacy and true, um, you know, anonymous um, ability to remain anonymous isn't necessarily true. Um, but there definitely is that element to it. Um, and um, yeah, I think also there's evidence of kind of, you know, different um, Russian actors potentially using crypto um, in the Russia case. So Russia is a really crypto savvy country. Um, so kind of this over intersection between UAE and Russia keeps emerging in that sense. Um, but the UAE, I think, is doing a really great job in terms of um, using technology, um, kind of the opposite side of that, you know, technology doesn't only create risk, but it also really creates opportunity. So the UAE has really made emerging uh, technology innovation a major priority for the country. Um, they've been using, you know, kind of, as we've mentioned, digital tools, um, you know, really integrating a lot of uh, technology into their due diligence, background checks. Um, so I think, you know, technology is always kind of a two-sided thing. And I think the UAE has done a great job of embracing a lot of the, the really great potential that it can provide. Yeah, absolutely. It seems the UAE has, you know, sort of effective toolkit of uh, policies and strategies uh, to improve its AML CFT framework and using, you know, some of these cutting edge technologies as well. Um, I guess sort of wrapping us up nearing the end of our podcast, as the UAE continues to work with FATF, you know, uh, in the wake of this gray listing to address remaining challenges, uh, what would you say are some of the key considerations authorities could keep in mind? Yeah, excellent question. Um, you know, I think 
over the next year and beyond, the UAE would do really well to keep focusing efforts on further supporting private sector training and outreach. Um, so as we've said, I think the UAE has done a really great job in this. You know, they're really proactive in terms of wanting to engage private sector actors within the country and then also beyond. Um, and really, you know, kind of having some, some pretty innovative um, approaches to training and outreach as well. Um, I think this is really essential to really helping you know, all relevant stakeholders understand the key risks and regulatory requirements um, to help combat illicit financial flows. The government, I think, could also do um, well to consider um, how to effectively use new technologies and digital solutions, again, as they've been doing. Um, but, you know, technology is constantly changing and improving. So I think it's really important to kind of continue to um, engage in this area and be proactive. So the use of digital due diligence and tools and, and toolkits, and then really thinking of how this could align with and support broader UAE tech entrepreneurship as well. So the UAE is a really tech savvy, tech forward country. I think they're really trying to, you know, build out their tech sector. So there's a lot of great opportunity in terms of how can you kind of intersect fighting financial crime with also really supporting a lot of these startups. Um, and then today's constantly changing international climate. Um, the UAE, I think, would do really well to prioritize um, working with international partners, domestic stakeholders to identify emerging risks and vulnerabilities. Uh, I think they're doing some great work on this already um, as we all look towards best ways to really address financial crime at its core. I think it's really important to prioritize collaboration and forward thinking. So it's always you know, great to really keep in mind what's happening across the world and um, how we can kind of be proactive in that regard. And then, as I've also mentioned, the new executive office in the UAE is a really great example of kind of all the work they're doing um, in terms of engagement and innovation. So I think really just, you know, prioritizing this office even further um, and really engaging with international and domestic stakeholders um, to really keep, keep making a difference, so. Definitely. Uh, well, thank you, Eliza, for the excellent insights, you know, the rich detailed discussion. And I think that's all that we have time for today, but I'm sure this is um, the first of many conversations on this important topic. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, definitely. It's been a great discussion and uh, look forward to, you know, keep discussing and researching these issues. Fantastic. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to the latest Themis podcast. If you'd like to find out more about Themis, please visit our website at www.crime.financial.com.